This is a watershed moment because the bill has passed into law. And nobody has clean hands in this. That's the sound of some of Canada's Jewish community leaders speaking with me about the political crisis still underway in Israel, nearly nine months after Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition government took power and pledged to change the way Israel's Supreme Court and the judicial system operate. A few weeks ago, on July 24th, Israel's Knesset made good on their pledge and passed one law curbing the Supreme Court's use of the reasonableness doctrine. That's where the unelected judges can review government decisions and even overturn them if they deem them unreasonable. The Netanyahu government says the judges shouldn't be allowed to throw out decisions made by democratically elected officials, and critics say the new law gives the Knesset lawmakers too much power without any checks and balances on cabinet decisions and ministerial appointments. So after the vote and all the protests that happened the day of, I spoke with a wide range of Canadian Jewish leaders about what they expect will happen this fall with Israel's democracy. It may be that the focus is... Uh, uh, legislation related to judicial reform, which in parenthesis, 10 years ago and 20 years ago, there was absolute consensus was urgently needed in Israel. And even people like Lapid, as early as two years ago, were talking about the need for it. This, however, is not about judicial reform. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Thursday, September the 7th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. We'll get to the interviews in a moment, but first, as many of you know, I've been off on bereavement leave because of the loss of our darling son, Evan, on July the 26th. My family and I have been deeply grateful for the outpouring of love and support from my colleagues at the CJN and from family and friends, but also from the wider community and from you, CJN Daily listeners. It doesn't solve our grief, but we've been comforted by all the emails and cards and phone calls and even meals that you've sent. And we thank you so much. Now, my producer, Zach Kaufman, has been filling in for me here on the CJN Daily. And last week, he did an episode using some of the interviews that I've recorded. So part one of what's in store for Israel this fall. And you can hear that podcast if you missed it by going to the link in our show notes. Today, though, I wanted to share the remaining important conversations I recorded. Because next week, the political situation in Israel will heat up again. On Tuesday, September the 12th, Israel's high court will hear petitions about the new law that will now limit the judges' use of the reasonableness doctrine. So will the judges throw the law out? And what will happen if they do? Meanwhile, Israel's president, Isaac Herzog, is reportedly busy trying back-channel discussions with the country's politicians to solve the crisis. And Canadian Jewish leaders are also preparing for a busy fall, including lobbying from this side of the world and figuring out next steps. So we'll hear all that. But first, this message. Beth David Hebrew School is now accepting new students. One of Toronto's most dynamic, egalitarian, conservative congregations is offering personalized Hebrew lessons, hands-on learning, exciting field trips, and small group activities, all with a hot dinner included. This is Jewish exploration that will last your children a lifetime. Classes run weekly on Monday nights from 5 to 7.15 p.m. starting September 18th. To learn more and enroll, visit BethDavid.com or email Adina, that's A-D-I-N-A, at BethDavid.com. 
So first up, my interview with Shimon Koffler Fogel. He's the head of CJA, Canada's largest political lobbying organization. I spoke with him from CJA's head office in Ottawa. Welcome back to the CJA. We we spoke seven months ago. Are you going to say I told you so? <laughs> no, I'm going to lament that we're um, pretty much in the same place as we were seven months ago. Uh, that the stakeholders have not really taken to heart um, the messages that have been conveyed, um, certainly from the Canadian Jewish community, but from, I think, pretty much everywhere around the world. Um, It's okay for um, different perspectives to try and advance their position. Uh, Less okay uh, is doing it at the cost of any sense of unity um, uh, and respectful dialogue uh, between those different uh, voices and perspectives. And, and unfortunately, what we've seen, uh, and nobody has clean hands in this. Ellen, the government coalition has what to answer for, uh, and so does the opposition that has mounted the protest. Uh, everybody has contributed to uh, what has become increasingly a toxic um, binary environment uh, where uh, nobody sees the opportunity or the window for achieving the kind of consensus that uh, big issues confronting uh, a society or a country uh, should always benefit from. Now, you mentioned that there's binary. Um, What now the government's one piece of legislation that went through is just one piece, but you're saying there's societal issues. The, the legislation itself is one thing, but it's not the biggest thing as far as you're concerned. There's a lot bigger at stake. But why did people sort of go into the streets about this one? What did it symbolize? So I think that it provided people with something very tangible to be able to focus on and saying we are in favor of or we are opposed to uh, and then be able to take the package of judicial reform uh, as the focus of their uh, either agitation or their support or, or or what have you. I don't want to be dismissive of the importance related to getting it right in terms of the balance between uh, different parts of government, uh, you know, the independence of the judiciary, uh, the authority of the executive branch and so forth. But I think increasingly there has been a recognition amongst thought leaders uh, that really this is symptomatic of uh, a bigger question that is confronting Israel and is coming home to roost, which is what's the nature of the state? Uh, in simplistic per- terms, uh, people will um, uh, will put the two um, the two extremes as is it an Israeli state? Is it a Jewish state? Um, and uh, what is its character? What's its complexion? What is going to benefit from? Uh, emphasis in terms of governance uh, and and what is going to mark uh, mark the state of Israel. Those aren't easy questions, uh, and they touch on so many different aspects uh, of our lived experience as Jews, uh, as a fledgling uh, nation state uh, reestablished in its ancestral homeland. Uh, so again, I don't want to diminish the importance of these issues, but the indulgence in um, this polarized um, uh, contest is 
coming at the expense of an ability to navigate these fundamental questions in a more constructive way that is going to be able to factor in and integrate the important dimensions of what all stakeholders see as important. So for some, it's about the nation state of the Jewish people. They want to be able to enshrine a sense of pride and identity uh, to connect it to 3,500 years of Jewish history. And that's an important thing for them to do. For others, they want to be seen as a modern day um, uh, liberal democracy that is at home with all Western democracies uh, around the world. Uh, and they want that to have dominance. I think that there are ways for us to be able to square the circle. Uh, I think with- okay, So what would that look like specifically? What is CJA calling for and actively doing? Well, so CJA does not presume to dictate to Israelis what the answers should be. For us, it's not about the position, it's about the approach. Uh, and what we're calling for is for everybody to take a step back, um, to heed um, the really inspiring leadership of President Herzog, um, and to recognize that the way forward is the way together. Uh, so for us, the emphasis is not on changing positions, it's on people changing their approach to how they arrive at decisions. And in that regard, um, it is important to recognize that even if everybody wears this, the government of the day has a special responsibility to assume leadership, to take the high road and to do what's necessary in order to create the circumstances that are gonna allow for that kind of dialogue to happen. Uh, and I think that the government could have done a much better job uh, in creating those circumstances. Uh, it takes a great deal of maturity. And I think that there were elements of this government uh, that um, are very excited about the idea of uh, being able to assert some authority and political power. Uh, and they are doing so at the expense of being able to move the country towards uh, a sustainable, meaningful um, resolution uh, that is going to help define Israel, not just for the next few years, but for the next 75 years. Okay, so uh, we, we know that your focus is on the, the streets next to your office, Parliament Hill and lobbying. What are you saying and what are you hearing? You have a cabinet shuffle today. Um, what has CJA been doing to try to influence or you know hear government policy? as the new government cabinet sworn in? So um, we do caution the Canadian government and the political sector more generally um, to recognize that what's happening in Israel is not only primarily a domestic uh, development, uh, but it's one that has many layers and is indeed very complicated. So they should resist the temptation of reducing it to some simple equation or formula um, or um, um, buzzword um, that this is all about democracy. Uh, you know, one could argue for and against 
what has been happening on the street in Israel or in the Knesset uh, as being the ultimate expression of democracy. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that we have to move away from those kind of uh, cliche um, um, interpretations. But more than that, um, from a Canadian perspective, uh, a country that asserts the shared values that Israel and Canada uh, enjoy and serve as the foundation of the relationship, uh, that the bilateral relationship cannot be defined by one government in one particular period. Uh, it's about something much, much broader than that. Uh, imagine if you could uh, that we would take the experience of the Trump years, uh, you know, an administration that was very polarizing uh, south of the border uh, and define the Canada-U.S. relationship exclusively on our experience during those four years, uh, four years that weren't very, very easy for us. Um, of course, we don't do that. And I think similarly, when it comes to Israel, uh, Canada has to take a broader picture to recognize that Israel, as a young country, has to go through those kind of growth spurts that are going to allow it to get to the next level of maturity and development of their own uh, sort of sort of political political legacy. Uh, and, uh, and in that regard, Canada can be a source of support. Uh, for example, we have had um, a very long relationship and a very special relationship, Dafka, on the issue of uh, the judiciary. Uh, where Israel has looked to Canada for leadership and guidance in how to move towards a constitution, how to structure uh, the uh, judiciary and so forth. Uh, so there's an opportunity for us to play a constructive role in helping guide Israel to a place um, that is going to resonate with um, a much broader consensus of Israelis and reaffirm the relationship between Canada and Israel. Okay, but back to what you're saying, Not let's just uh, take a broader view and maybe this government will sort of skip over that in the timeline, or maybe not, some people support. But this the Trudeau government uh, is uh, about to go into maybe this fall hearings on the future of its relationship when it comes to Palestine-Israel policy, right? There's going to be this foreign committee, foreign affairs committee that's going to be studying it. Is that still on as far as you know? And if so, uh, what are you going to try to do to uh, influence what may come out of it? Yeah, so I, I don't think that that study is imminent. Um, I think uh, it's more likely, if it's going to take place at all, to take place in 2024. Uh, there are lots of other priorities that the Foreign Affairs Committee and its subcommittees have um, uh, over the next uh, few months. But uh, whenever it does pursue that kind of study, we're going to want to ensure uh, that the um, uh, the members of the committee are able to benefit from a truly representative and broad spectrum of voices and perspectives. Um, we're not afraid uh, or wanting to um, mute any particular perspective, um, uh, legitimate perspective at least, uh, that uh, wants to contribute to the conversation about what Israel looks like, what Israel-Palestinian relationships look like, uh, what the region more generally looks like, and what the bilateral relationship with Canada looks like, um, because we think all of them could enrich the discussion. Uh, but that only works 
if you ensure uh, that you've been able to capture uh, that uh, heterogeneous um, uh, broad spectrum of different voices and views uh, that are able to contribute to the discussion. Okay, and a couple of months ago, there was a lot of controversy about your man in Israel, um, Siege's man in Israel with some of his tweets. Is he staying in his position or has anything been done about making sure he doesn't upset some parts of the population with his political positions on on Twitter? Uh, so um, or other social media, I I won't accept the premise that uh, he triggered a lot of controversy. I think that there was a particular segment of the community here and not a very large one uh, that tries to seize on some of his um, writing, uh, which he does independent of his work for Sija. Um, they were quite comfortable taking it out of context. Uh, and um, trying to frame it in a particular way. Um, uh, David Weinberg um, has been um, a, um, a faithful and responsible representative of us in Israel. Um, he's done some remarkable things and enjoys the confidence uh, of people across the spectrum in Israel, uh, as, as well as our own confidence here in Canada. Um, I think that that particular experience, Ellen, uh, reminded both David and me uh, that it was important to recognize that anything that he does, even if it's in a capacity independent of his work for Sija, um, um, is going to leach uh, into, into his Sija persona, uh, and that he has to be mindful of that uh, when, when he offers comment. Um, and so we've put into place some, uh, uh, some procedures that will protect both him and Sija, uh, from any undesirable, um, accusations and, uh, it seems to be working. Now, Israel is still a major focus for Sija, but the organization has decided to turn its attention to domestic Canadian matters for the time being. In October, they're holding a big conference in Ottawa focused on fighting anti-Semitism here in Canada, including plenty of FaceTime lobbying Canadian politicians. Now, Israel's High Court of Justice is also supposed to hear several other cases in September involving the Netanyahu government's reforms, although the Knesset won't reopen until after the high holidays, October 15th. Like Sija, Miriam Perlman was on our show last winter after Netanyahu was first re-elected. She is past president of the Reform Judaism organization called Arza Canada. She remains disappointed with how Sija responded to this historic moment. Well, we spoke to you uh, about seven months ago in December after the Netanyahu government took office. At that time, there were a lot of concerns from your organizations that you represent about what was going to happen. So I wanted to circle back with you. I, am, I appreciate having this opportunity because um, I do want to say that last December, most of the, everything that I said we were concerned about we, has played out just as we predicted and feared, um, with some exceptions. So, or uh, not exceptions, but things are different. This is a watershed moment because the bill has passed into law, but, but for seven months, we have seen an Israeli public protest like it has never protested before, that people that were indifferent 
to Israeli politics and all of that, Israelis I'm talking about right now, have come out in hundreds of thousands of to protest the these these the threatened uh, initiatives and uh, bills that Levine and and uh, obviously Netanyahu's coalition have uh, been wanting to put forward. But there's huge numbers that have come out that are protesting that are that understand now what that they need to fight for what we've been talking about for um, for not it's not just a um, a Jewish democracy of pluralism and equality and human rights. It's it's also um, Zionism. It's what we believe the state of Israel should be. And uh, so it goes further than just the judicial overhaul or the judicial coup really gives them a, a small majority coalition free hand to do whatever they want. And the big fears are what, what do they want? They want, we fear, they want to take over the West Bank. They want to make halacha the, the norm in for the state of Israel. The things that we fight for, equality for women, for LGBTQ, for uh, conversion, for um, pluralistic, for uh, rabbis, all those things that have we've been fighting for for years. When I say we, I mean the reform movement in Israel, the reform movement in North America. We as Arts of Canada are the Zionist arm of the reform movement. So th these are things we've been fighting for. But now the silent majority that was indifferent is now waking up. And, and what we see is, although the, it passed, and that's you know, devastating, they only passed one bill, not the whole list that they were threatening to at the beginning. And so the pressure has made a difference from our partners in Israel and in North America to continue civil the civil protests that they're having some in Toronto, many more in the, in the United States, um, on the streets, to contact our political representatives, to, of course, contact our Israeli embassies and ambassador and consul generals and to email to the Israeli government to have campaigns to continue the pressure and, and to inform our own constituencies, our communities, with uh, so they are always aware of what is happening and what we can do. And um, just keeping in touch with, with our partners. Yesterday, actually, frankly, there was a wonderful emergency webinar update with thousands. We had 2,000 that, that signed up, registered, and many, many more. We don't know. I don't know the numbers that were following on Facebook, the streaming from the URJ, um, the, the Union of Reformed Judaism uh, in the in United States, the, from the largest religious um, community, uh, Jewish community, organized uh, stream in the United States. And uh, their leaders, the leaders from Israel, the they were all on and giving us updates and telling us uh, how we are going to keep our pressure up, that we they will be resilient, asking us to give hugs to our fellow Israelis for to help their resilience. So we're not stopping. And the fears that we had initially have all played out. Are you doing anything? You said you were talking to the Canadian politicians. Um, what does that look like? Have you literally been doing like lobbying? There has been letter writing, and we're going to have to now step it up. And uh, and and I and we are also learning that the international pressure has made a difference. In Israel, they our leaders believe that 
the fact that only one bill came forward and we we've heard there's been internal talk about what actually went on and the more moderately could members were actually trying to get them to back off and not passing it right now and all that that happened among that you know this is inside talk only uh, but uh, the international pressure is making a difference I'll say one more thing that um, we are Jewish organizations like CJA. Um, you'll remember there was that was at the Toronto Star that wrote it. Where is the? Why are the Canadians silent? We need them to be more vocal. We have been disappointed that there hasn't been more. So we'll try to pressure for more of that. Um, those kinds of things. We'll just we'll be speeding it up. And we'll end with Solicitor General Michael Kersner of Ontario. He's a member of the Doug Ford Conservative Cabinet. And he's been busy promoting a provincial government fund of over $25 million designed to help religious and faith groups beef up security at their buildings to prevent hate-related attacks. Now, Kersner wouldn't connect what's happening in Israel with a rise in anti-Jewish sentiment here at home, but he is urging groups to get their applications in by Tuesday, September 12th, for some of the money. What are you seeing from your vantage point on how the community is being impacted here and what are you worried about? Well, and as I've said many times, you know, Israel is a democratic country. Uh, I'm not Israeli. I don't vote in the Israeli election. My concern, Ellen, is to continue on with a strong message that hate has no place in Ontario. And we've never had a government uh, more concerned about rooting out hate in all of its uh, types here in Ontario. And Ellen, you know, we've led by example because we've introduced the Ontario Anti-Hate Security Prevention Grant. That's over $25 million over two years where uh, in our case, Jewish uh, organizations, faith-based organizations can apply to get a $10,000 grant that will allow them to help defray uh, security uh, costs that will help them uh, put more lighting in their facilities, and help them with infrastructure. And it sends it sends a positive message out. Whenever there's a flare up, we'll talk about 2021. You weren't in politics yet, but you know, as a member of the Jewish community, when there was the war with Israel and Hamas, there was very serious um, repercussions in Canada. There was violence in the streets. There were protests. People threw blood at the Israeli consulate. Jews were attacked physically as well as online. And now with what's happening in Israel, how is this translating what are your police forces seeing again uh, targeting jewish institutions well thank goodness you know in toronto we've got uh, phenomenal uh, police service the toronto police service we border on uh, york region york region uh, york region police service yrp as i like to call it uh, you know I, I can tell you ellen that i live in clanton park i'm proud i tell people where i live i give them out my phone number and uh, I, I live in a safe community. I have seen no extraordinary rise of anti-Semitism locally. I walk to a synagogue uh, on the Sabbath, and I'm proud of that. And, and I live, but we're on guard. Can we go back to the uh, question you raised at the beginning about the grants? So how, um, of this $25 million, realistically, how much of it do you think will be for Jewish faith institutions percentage wise three quarters half what do you think listen i i can't tell you i i don't know but the reality is since the grant opened just a few days ago many jewish institutions that are well known 
have called, have started the applications. Hate doesn't have a boundary. And this is why, you know, our government's message, that's a strong message, that hate is toxic to our democracy, that we're not going to accept this. And for the 99 plus percent of the people that can live in Ontario just fine, neighbor to neighbor, shoulder to shoulder, that's great. But for the few people that can't accept this is the code of behavior, this is our expectation of them, we're going to call them out and we're going to remind them, you know, get out. You don't have a place here. So we got to get people to apply. But Ellen, it's an honor of a lifetime to serve, to help the premier, to be part of a government that cares about our public safety. It's good to talk with you. And that is what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. I hope to be back soon with a new CJN Daily episode. I'm starting back slowly as my family and I continue to navigate our new reality. So meanwhile, if you want to write to me or get in touch with any story ideas, you know how to reach us. I'm at ebessner at thecjn.ca. Thanks so much for listening. Jewish comedy legend Modi and Hasidic rapper Nisim Black are coming to Toronto to perform live at UJA's campaign launch on September 7th. Visit jewishtoronto.com to get your tickets today. Don't miss Modi and Nisim Black on September 7th. Go to jewishtoronto.com for your ticket today.